0: Obviously, it's a special Sunday because Pastor Jamie's in a blazer. Doesn't happen very often unless someone gets married or buried or someone comes back from dead. So um, praise the Lord for blazers uh, to mark special occasions. So I want to say good morning and happy resurrection. Um, If you want to turn your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, that's where we will spend our time together this morning. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 it is my honor and privilege to be with you in walking through this important paragraph in Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use the one in the pew ahead of you. We'll be on page 600, I'm sorry, 884 of the Pew Bible, Luke chapter 24. So this is how it's going to go. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, read a paragraph of Luke chapter 24. Then I'm going to explain it as to how it applies to life. Then we're going to sing one last song. Corey's going to come back up and Mary's going to come back up. And we're going to sing one last song. It should be 20, 25 minutes or so. Luke chapter 24. Let's begin reading at the first verse on down to verse 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna... And Mary, the mother of James and the other women who told them these things to the apostles. but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and they went home and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help this morning in understanding this passage and its application and implications upon our life. Would you send your Holy Spirit to fill me, your servant, to speak truthfully according to your word? And would you give us ears to hear your word this morning? And may, by God's power and by God's pleasure, he be pleased. For anyone who has not heard these words and applied them, make today the day that they do. I pray that today would be the day that folks put their trust in the Lord all across this city, in this church, in all the churches that are meeting this morning. We are not serving just our risen Savior, but we are serving the risen Savior of all Christians. And I pray that the gospel would be preached here, but it would also be preached all across the world as we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's not much known about the man named Theophilus. Theophilus was probably a, a Roman politician of some sort, or a man of high social standing. What we do know of Theophilus is that he lived in the first century, he had at one point heard about a Palestinian Jew who uh, named Jesus of Nazareth who had apparently been crucified and reportedly came back to life. And this report of this Jesus had Theophilus intrigued. Of course, crucifixion in the first century was no scandal in and of itself. Crucifixion was a fairly common thing. The Romans crucified criminals all the time. They're extraordinarily good at it. What caught Theophilus' attention was this coming back to life bit. Because as you know, dead people don't come back to life. Dead people stay dead. So an acquaintance of his, a doctor, physician by the name of Luke, investigated the matter. And Luke put together an orderly account of the life and the, the sayings and the death and reported resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth. And he wrote his findings down in two letters that he sent to Theophilus. The first letter is known today simply as the gospel according to Luke. And we've just read a chapter from that gospel, we just read a portion of that chapter. Luke's letter, as with the rest of the Bible, was divided into chapters later on. There are 24 chapters in Luke's gospel, and we've just read a portion of chapter 24. The first 23 chapters of Luke are vitally important, extremely important. They record... Uh, the, the, the birth of the Lord Jesus, they record his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, um, the, the calming of the storm on the sea. They record some of Jesus' most beloved teachings about loving your neighbor and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they're rich and wonderful 23 chapters. But had Luke stopped at chapter 23... All of that, all of chapter 20, all of chapter 1 through 23 would just merely, merely be interesting and little more than just interest. It'd be interesting to, to study it, to, to learn about it, maybe even emulate some of it, but really it would have little bearing and consequence on our life today. But the reality is that Luke didn't stop writing at chapter 23. Because the most important thing that happened in the gospel of Luke happened in chapter 24. And that is what was most important to Theophilus. It is what is most important to us today. Luke 24 is what brings us together this morning. All that to say this, that if what the physician Luke wrote is truthful, and I believe it is, then everything hangs on Luke 24. If what we have just read is true and not a lie, then everything hangs on these verses being true. So for the next 15 or 20 minutes, with God's help, I hope to walk through this paragraph and to explain as best as God will allow me how these, for, these 12 verses apply to our lives. They're 2,000 years old and they apply to us today. They're extraordinarily relevant and immeasurably important to us, to everyone in this room today. So let's walk through this paragraph together. Back to verse one. But on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, right? At early dawn, they went to the tomb. They, here in Luke 24, verse 1, refers to some Jewish women who were followers of Jesus' ministry. They went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. They were taking spices, not because they were making an Easter gumbo or something like that. They were taking spices to the tomb to, to rub their spices and perfumes on the body of Jesus. They expected to go to the tomb and to find Jesus' dead body because they watched him put there down in that tomb and they were expecting to find him there and they were going to rub his body in these spices and perfumes. In those days, the Jews, they didn't embalm people like the Egyptians embalmed people. Instead, what they would do is they would rub spices and perfumes on them to uh, probably delay some of the decaying smell of a dead body. They would wrap them in linen strips, sort of like a mummy or something so these women, they go to the tomb of the Lord Jesus on Sunday morning, early, very early. And they expect to find a dead body there because Friday afternoon, you recall, they watched the Lord die by crucifixion. His clothes were torn off of him. His body was beaten. He was strapped to a pole and whipped. They beat him with rods. They smacked him in the face. They mocked him. They put a a purple robe on him and bowed down to him hailing him as a fake king. And after this, they forced Jesus to carry his cross uphill, where he would be mounted to a pole. Nails would be driven through his hands, probably at the wrists and through his feet. And he would hang on a cross until he would suffocate and eventually die. The women who were coming to the tomb watched this happen. If you remember from the crucifixion account, it was the women Stuck around. And they watched this happen to the Lord. They watched also as a Roman soldier finished the job. If you remember, they came to these criminals on the cross and they went to break their legs. Of course, you know that. Crucifixion, you don't die just because you're bleeding out, you die because you're suffocating, and they would break your legs so that you couldn't hold yourself up and that you would suffocate and die. So they came to break Jesus' legs, but he was already dead. But to make sure that he was, John's gospel records, they took a sword, one of the Roman soldiers, and they they shoved a sword up into his side into his heart to make sure that he was dead. They watched this happen. They watched him die. So they were expecting him to still be in the tomb. They laid, they took his body off of the cross. He died around three o'clock in the afternoon and they took his body off of the cross because they had to get it off the cross because at six o'clock there was this holy day coming and they, they couldn't leave him on the cross for that day. So they took him off the cross and they put him in a tomb and they left him there. And some people thought they were afraid that Jesus' followers were so excited about Jesus, so worked up about him dying, that they thought he, they, might, they might come and steal his body away. So they put a big rock in front of the tomb, big stone, and then they paid soldiers to stand there, Roman soldiers, to stand and guard the tomb from anybody who might want to come and steal the body away. Verse 2, women found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. The stone was moved. The guards were gone. I don't know what they thought had happened. Maybe they thought somebody stole his body away. They were confused. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Other gospel accounts record these two men were angels. So let's keep reading. The men, they said to the women, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So the angels explain everything to the women Jesus had risen. He was not in the grave. He was alive. You don't seek living things among dead things. And Jesus, of course, the the, the angels explained. Jesus had, of course, told you this. Three times in the gospel, at least. Three times explicitly, Jesus predicts his own death. And Jesus' prediction of his own death wasn't like Nostradamus, where it's like so vague that it could apply to everything. Jesus specifically said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be delivered to sinful men and they're going to beat me and they're going to crucify me. But nevertheless, I'm going to come back, come back to life on the third day. He told them this three times, but they didn't remember it. Verse eight, but after being told by the angels, they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven. Those are Jesus' disciples, the eleven. Of course, there were twelve, but then one betrayed the Lord and offed himself. They told these things to the eleven and to the rest. Verse 10 and 11. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, the apostles, like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The women were the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And the apostles, which were all men, by the way, they didn't listen So I can see the ladies being like, of course they didn't listen. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. The men didn't listen. They should have listened. These words seemed an idle tale, like make believe. Perhaps they were thinking the women were emotional. They were just hysterical. Maybe they thought the women got lost in the dark on the way to the tomb, and they went to the wrong tomb. And they came back. He's not there. They couldn't believe it. But we should give the apostles some credit, I think. They watched Jesus die by crucifixion. Crucifixion was not just a gruesome way to die. It was a lethal way to die. You didn't come back from crucifixion. You died. And they watched him die. It's an extraordinarily effective way of killing a person. Verse 12, But Peter, he rose and he ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The apostle Peter, unlike the others, he had to see for himself. He had to investigate it, and so he ran to the tomb to see if the ladies were right. He wanted to know, did they get lost? Did they go to the wrong tomb? I got to know. So he ran to the tomb and he stooped in. The stone was gone. The guards were gone. The tomb was empty. And Luke says he went home and he marveled. Now I want you to notice there are three different responses to the resurrection of the Lord in this passage. Three different responses. And we may identify with one or more of these responses. The first response was that of the women. The women in Jesus' life had been some of the most loyal supporters of the Lord. But they had forgotten his teaching. He had said that he would rise on the third day, and they had forgotten that. They went to the tomb expecting to find his body there. They went to the tomb on the third day, expecting to see his body there. Even though he had told them, you won't find my body after the third day because I'm rising from the dead. But they expected to find him there. But they don't find him there. Instead, what they find are two men, angels, who say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And some of us may be like the women. Consider ourselves Christians because we believe in in Jesus Christ. But he's not really living in our life. He's just a normal person. Normal people, when they die, they stay dead. His teachings are good, but they don't bear much on our day-to-day lives. His word is certainly not alive in our life. I'm not sure we would describe it like that. I can believe that parts of it are true. It's not really living in our life. I mean we believe in Jesus. But we believe in Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln did good things, he said some nice things. Jesus believed Jesus did some nice things. He said some nice things. But nobody says that Abraham Lincoln's words have a lot to do with their day to day life. And so some of us may be like the women looking for the living among the dead. Our our faith, if you would call it that. It's, it's a dead faith because it's in a dead person. Some of us may identify with the apostles. We hear reports from Christians on Easter. He's alive. Our Facebook feed is full of all these churches saying, he's alive, come, come worship with us. We think that's... That's make-believe. That's <laughs> not true. The Bible is make-believe. I mean, sure, it has some things that are in it that are valuable and good. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Didn't Gandhi say that? So it's good things. But it's antiquated, it's old, it's confused about gender and sexuality. And this whole idea of a man dying and coming back to life, it was a fabricated story by his own followers to gain followers. It's make-believe. Easter is a weird religious holiday anyway. It has some weird connections with Christianity. I'm not really sure what those are. You're not really sure how this like egg-laying bunny has anything to do whatsoever with Jesus coming back to life. I'm confused too, but somehow there's this connection between Easter and Christianity, and you don't really understand. So the Bible has some value, but it's ancient literature. It's full of error. And those who take it seriously are fundamentalists, Those who shoot guns and hate gays and vote Republican. You don't take them too seriously. You're confused about how that has anything to do with Christianity. Maybe others of us are like Peter. We hear about the resurrection, but we're the kind of person that has to investigate things for ourselves. Peter ran to the tomb to check it out. Himself. He had to see it with his own eyes. He had to see it. Maybe you're like that. You read books, you do your research, read blogs, read about the objections to Christianity, reasons why we believe that the resurrection is true. You watch Finding Jesus on the History Channel or whatever it is, CNN. You're an investigator. You, you, you look into, you do your research, but you're still not convinced Jesus was risen. He was a religious leader, a good person, but risen from the dead, probably not. I don't know where you stand with regard to the resurrection of Jesus. But I'll tell you something interesting. All three sets of people in Luke 24, all of them, by the end of the chapter, go from being perplexed to being persuaded. They go from doubting to belief. Some of those people in Luke Luke 24, 1 through 12, some of those people will eventually give their own lives to die on the fact that Jesus came out of the grave. What changed? What was the difference? What would take a person from not sure about the resurrection to being so sure that they'll be strung up and killed, burned alive for the sake of that fact? Well, if you still have your Bible open, go to the bottom of the chapter, Luke chapter 24. You're going to look down at verse 36 and you'll see what changed. As they were talking about these things, that's the apostles, the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I'll conclude our time with this. Whether you're like the women with dead faith, like the eleven in their skepticism, or like Peter in his doubt, The problem is the same and the solution is the same. The problem is the same and the solution is the same. All of us need to meet the risen Lord Jesus. Notice in this passage, Jesus provides a three-part solution to their doubt and skepticism and dead faith. A three-part solution. First, he reveals himself to them. He appears in their midst. As they're talking about Jesus, Jesus himself appears. So we shouldn't go here from this place today and just mark this off on the calendar as another Easter, another Resurrection Sunday that I went to church. Rather, we should go from this place talking. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Don't take my word for anything. Take it from God's word. Go back to the scriptures. Work on it. Chew on it. Grab hold of it. Read it and reread it. Second, Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures. We need God's help in understanding the Bible, we need God's Holy Spirit to unlock its meaning. For us, That's why before we, pr- we preach, we always pray that God would help us. Read the Bible. And when it's confusing, ask the Lord to help you and keep reading the Bible. Lastly, the Lord explains His death and His resurrection provided the solution to the biggest problem of all. The universal human problem. The thing that we need most is not freedom, it's not happiness, but it's forgiveness. And we see that in verse 47 the forgiveness of sin. Every person in this room has disobeyed God's commandments and is guilty of treason against the King of the universe. And that guilt carries the sentence of death in a place called hell. And no amount of good deeds is going to pay God back. There's no baptism into a church. There's no membership in a church that's going to get you into heaven. There are no scales weighing your good deeds against your bad deeds. The problem is We've sinned against God, and we need to be reconciled to Him. And there's only one way to do that, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross paid for sin. And our guilt for our sin was placed on Jesus. He he was punished for our sin, and by trusting in His death in our place... We can have our sin removed from our lives and we can be forgiven and we can enter heaven forever. Theophilus got his answer from Luke. The reason for all the ruckus in Palestine for that man Jesus risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord Jesus revealed himself to Theophilus through Luke's letter. And the Lord has revealed Himself to us through the same. I don't know if Theophilus became a Christian or not, but I hope today that if you're not a Christian, I pray that you would become one before you leave today. So what does this mean? Corey and Mary are going to come back and they're going to sing another song. And here's what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian... If you're not a follower of Jesus, then use this time as we sing to confess your sins, to admit that you have sinned against God, and to trust in the Lord Jesus and the cross to forgive you of those sins. Just simply talk to God about it. Put your faith in Him, and then commit yourself to following Him. Following Jesus is not a solo ordeal. You don't just do it on your own. You don't just show up to church once in a while. You need his people. You need the church to help you. And so we're going to sing. And afterwards, I'm going to come back up.